0: The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, coming to you from the beautiful, sun splashed, clear blue skied studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we're streaming live on www.dbam.com. You can reach us at Boomer Generation Radio at uh, at uh, gmail.com and on the Facebook page for Boomer Generation Radio. And a reminder that uh, the shows are podcast on my website www.jewishsacredaging.com. Uh, all the archive shows are there. We're going to be right back uh, for our first segment. Get mis- guest Mr. Chet Ross calling in from. A little bit far away in in Arizona. We'll be back with Mr. Ross right after this message from our friends down the street at Kendall.
1: Hi, this is Kendall staff member, Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together, Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K E N. DAL, visit org, or call toll free eight 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 seven five nine zero one two eight.
0: Welcome again back to our first segment here on Boomer Generation Radio, uh, WWDB AM 860 here in Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And um, thanks to Tony in the control room, hopefully uh, Mr. Ross, Chet Ross, is on the line. Chad, are you there? I am. Hey, hi. Thank you for getting up. Where are we in Arizona? Are you?
2: I'm in Scottsdale.
0: Oh, I have some good friends in Scottsdale, up in Piney something. On the next, on, they live under a mountain of rocks. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But thank you for getting up so early uh, and, and joining us here on Boomer Generation Radio. Uh, Mr. Ross is the Managing Director of Devon Associates, and we're going to talk a little bit about this concept of mentoring, and, um, which you describe as a, a fulfilling activity post-retirement. Chet, what, what got you into the concept of mentoring? And I guess the, for sort of like Mentoring 101, what do you mean by mentoring?
2: Well, First, how did I get into mentoring? I had retired, I guess, for the third time. <laughs> I wanted to keep engaged and active, and um, I felt like I wanted to give back to the community for all the help I received in my business career. And I thought, you know, this would be kind of the best use of my skills. I was also lousy at golf,
3: <laughs> and
2: uh, I I really wanted to do something that was fulfilling. And uh, that's how I got into mentoring. Um, I guess the easiest way to describe mentoring is coaching uh, an individual in their professional activities. And it could be, you know, small business mentoring, but it it could equally be applicable uh, to the trades or, you know, somebody who is tending to pools. But it's providing... The experience of someone who is uh, has that business experience or a trade experience and conveying it to uh, someone who is developing in that area
0: so the 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 concept of, it's really the, uh, the, the giving back aspect of it i, I think is really is really crucial. Where does the mentoring thing stand now in the, in the States with all these boomers retiring and supposedly, you know, supposedly retiring or looking for something to do? And, and it's very interesting because today we're really focusing on this because our second guest, um, who's actually in the studio waiting, uh, um, Dottie Brown, who does a blog exactly on this um, and talks about transitions. What, th- th- this idea of, of giving back, um, do you see this really emerging in more and more cases with baby boomers as they leave full-time work that there's this desire of saying, you know, I I really feel the need now to give something back to the community, to give something back to, to people just starting out, to that kid who's graduating with their, from University of Arizona or ASU down the, down the street from you with their master's in business but really doesn't know a thing about how really to run a business?
2: Uh, absolutely. It's, um, it's sort of a win-win situation in that for the mentor, it's very satisfying, um, fulfilling, and you can turn it off at 5 o'clock. Uh, you can start it and stop it almost uh, at will. Uh, you're not dependent on it for income, and it, it can be a lot of fun. It also keeps you involved. Uh, with uh, other folks in their age group that uh, perhaps they're a lot younger than you are, so it helps you stay relevant. Uh, for, the, for the mentee, of course, they can tap into a great source of experience and um, if it's handled properly, provide guidance for them and uh, over the rough spots, encouragement. I think encouragement is probably one of the greatest uh benefits people have told me that that they were you know cheered on and picked up and dusted off after they um you know had a little setback so uh, it's a win win
0: what may, what makes somebody a good mentor I, I would imagine it with many other things when you're dealing with human beings and personal relationships you, you may have run across people who say gee i want to do this but their personality traits don't lend themselves to really that type of an arrangement
2: agreed probably a major factor major consideration is to not be judgmental Uh, you also have to be a good listener you have to be organized and from your own standpoint, you need to find that the, the mentoring is satisfactory.
0: What, what do you mean by non-judgmental? I mean, that's an interesting turn of phrase well, with, you know, you're going to add, you aren't, doesn't the mentor have a responsibility in a, using your image of the coach of saying to sometimes to, to Shirley, you're really not going about this in the right way?
2: No, I, I never like to take that kind of an approach, even though I thought that okay. the important thing is that the mentee comes to that conclusion themselves. And rather than saying, Hey, that's a dumb idea, or, you know, this, that, and the other, you, you pose questions like, well, have you thought about, and you cite an example where maybe this wouldn't work well mm-hmm. and, um, I, when I was with the Score organization, and I was training other mentors, I gave them the example of what would you do, what would you say, if a client came into you and his idea or her idea was the chia pet, you know, that little ceramic thing that you put water on, and now. If you were just hit with this cold, you might think it's a pretty terrible idea, but look at the incredible commercial success that it had. So I use that as an example and say, you know, don't be judgmental. Don't, if you think that it's not going to work in the right way or that you're not going to have success with it, try to lead them to come to that decision. But at the end of the day, who knows in in these times what is going to be a commercial success or not so uh, that's the kind of non-judgmental thing
0: you you mentioned score and uh, I I know of it only because my dad worked in it when he left his uh, business what is that?
2: well score um, is it's a score association it's a resource partner of the US small business administration and it I guess they have about uh, 11 or 12 thousand members nationally, and it's an organized uh, group of individuals. SCORE used to be the acronym for Service Corps of Retired Executives, right? But now um, in SCORE there are folks that aren't retired, and anyway, um, they have chapters throughout the country, and they provide free assistance, mentoring uh, to small business. You can go to the local score chapter, and they'll assign you a mentor, and that individual will work with you and help you develop business plans and direction and uh, access to other resources to um, provide guidance in your business endeavors.
0: You mentioned you mentioned business. We we talked a lot about business stuff, um, but can you talk to us a little bit about the mentoring process for you know a dentist or the lawyer or um, I mean we we have it in clergy. We're just starting to really evolve um, this mentor mentee relationship. A lot of times with clergy, um, how is this in the professions, for example, evolving? Is it is it also growing like like in business?
2: Yes, um, it is, and it's, it's simply a matter of getting, uh, finding un, a mentor, uh, someone that has hopefully some background in the endeavor of the mentee, and they arrange to visit on a regular schedule with activities wherein the, uh, the mentor can provide some directions of guidance, a sounding board, um uh, someone to bounce ideas off someone to help structure the development um of the mentee and uh it's um it's very fulfilling for the mentor i certainly have found that and um broadening one's horizons and for the mentee of course you have a, a this resource that you can tap, um, who hopefully is non-judgmental, but give you fair, honest uh, guidance.
0: So how long have you been, how long have you yourself, Chet, been mentoring?
2: Oh, gracious, it's been about 15 years.
0: Okay. And so to, to get, just, I'm sure you have a ton of, of vignettes, stories. Share with me and and our audience, just just one that really perhaps sticks out in your mind that you know, you know that there was a that the that the process was really fulfilling and working. And if you've done that for fifteen years, obviously you may now have a track. You probably do have a track record of somebody you helped twelve ten years ago. Now, ten years later, twelve years later, that they've where they've come as a result of your relationship.
2: I um, I guess there have been uh, a lot of very fulfilling opportunities. The 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 benchmark for me has been when, sort of out of the blue, someone tells you, "Gee, I couldn't have gotten this far without you." Um, the the types of folks I've worked with, the types of businesses they've been involved, in are all over the place. Uh, my background is from uh, a manufacturing or a series of manufacturing companies that manufactured water treatment equipment, and uh, international businesses. And I guess in the 15 years, I've run across one or possibly two people that were in the water business.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, All the rest were as diverse uh, as you can possibly imagine. And what I found was that it really didn't matter at this sort of entry and, and slow growth uh, or just beginning growth level, what your background was, the business problems were always the same, and um, it, it didn't require that much special uh, business knowledge, but rather general business knowledge to help the mentee over the, you know, the difficult uh, parts. But to see a um, a mentee evolve and go to the next level and uh, know that well you gave them a little push and a little help uh i found incredibly satisfying i guess i've mentored probably a couple of hundred people uh in the past 15 years
0: that's it's that's i guess that's the fulfilling aspect you know uh for the mentor themselves If the mentee wishes, you know, to to receive that information and that give back that you talked about is also a spiritual and psychological give back and fulfillment. We're talking with Chet Ross uh, on the issue of mentoring uh, and post-retirement activities uh, occupied by many a baby boomer. We'll be back with Chet right after this message from our friends at
3: Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128.
0: Welcome back to our first segment here on Boomer Generation Radio. Today, we're speaking uh, right now in our first segment with Chet Ross, uh, calling in from Scottsdale about the issue of mentoring. You're listening to Boomer Generation Radio on WWDB AM 860 here in Philadelphia, and we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. Uh, Chet, uh, you know, uh, i got to ask you a question because of the what may be generational issues that you may encounter in the years that you've been mentoring. A lot of these young people now coming out of college and graduate school, perhaps with their MBA, are fluent electronically, fluent in computers, fluent, fluent in the electronic social media network, and yet perhaps our generation is still perhaps in many ways learning how to use this. And you're working with with people. Has that been an issue? This sort of like electronic uh, divide or gap, or is it just easily overcome? Because it really is a com a communication of building relationships on a personal level.
2: For me, it was not a problem. Uh, but I think perhaps I was an exception. I'm sort of a techie, and um, I'm plugged into these things. I mean. Uh, I know about them, I use them, uh, obviously not to the extent that um, a, a boomer might or uh, not a boomer, um, uh, Gen X or something else, but I found among my colleagues that it was a bit of a problem, particularly in the area of making recommendations or Providing concepts to the mentee uh, from marketing or how they might uh, expand their business using these emerging uh, technologies and rapidly changing technologies. Um, Some of them, you know, had to go to class and get caught up, and some of them simply weren't effective. So, um, you know, that's a negative aspect. You really have to be conversant in the new technologies and how they apply to business, I think, to be effective. So uh, on the mentor's part, that requires a little bit of study and research uh, so they can get up to speed.
0: You know, following up on that, let's suppose somebody now – is leaving their full-time job and, and really has the need or the desire to want to do this, to, to be a mentor, to give something back. They're, they have 25, 30 years of a profession and a business. How does an individual start uh, on this road if they want to pursue mentoring? Is uh, uh, Are there classes they can take? Uh, are there organizations that they join like SCORE or they put an ad in the paper or on Craigslist? How does one really go about doing this
2: all of the above (laughs) I I think uh, score is a great place to start it's a national organization there's chapters um, in most cities and uh, you can become part of the score organization they provide training and guidance and direction they actually certify their mentors um, through testing So to me, that's an excellent place. You can check with your local community college, local university, uh, local business uh, accelerators. Different communities have different sources of um, mentors, and they're organized different ways. But probably the most universal throughout the country is the SCORE organization.
0: So is there a website, if somebody wants to Google it, or is it SCORE.com? Yeah,
2: it's, it's .org. 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 And uh, you can check with the local SBA office. Uh, I, they're in the phone book. You you know, you look them up on the Internet. I believe if you go to the SCORE national website, uh, www.score.org, uh, you can put in your zip code, and they'll tell you where the local office is.
0: Do national organizations, uh, you know, professional or trade organizations, have uh, mentoring programs that are emerging from them?
2: I don't know. Um, SCORE is the one that I know of right. nationally, and it's uh, a not-for-profit, and the the mentoring is free. There are other programs sponsored by the uh, USSBA um, that... The individuals are compensated. Uh, There's the small business uh, development group. Uh, There's the women's, they also have a women's uh, mentoring group. Those mentors are actually paid. Uh, SCORE mentors are volunteers, and there is no charge for their services.
3: All right,
0: we're gonna start running out of time, but I have to say since you alluded to this, and I I know our second guest is gonna wanna talk about this too. In your experience, you've been doing this for 15 years. You see the trends of people moving out of full-time work and becoming mentors. More men than women, or do you see more women becoming mentors? And, what's the, and if so, what's the reaction? You know, is, there, is there any type of uh, reaction if um, you know, this, this 65-year-old woman who's worked in the field for 35 years is, starts mentoring the, the 22-year-old young man?
2: My experience has been there were fewer women than men doing the mentoring. The mentees were perhaps 60% to 40% women. Mm. So the people that we were mentoring were women, um, but the, men, uh, the mentors themselves uh, were more male-dominated
0: it's, it's interesting because I, I think that probably I'm not a sociologist, but just given my small little window of observation in, in seminary work, uh, that really is reflective of the shift in the last twenty to thirty years of even you know what's happening with clergy. So, in the last minute that we have left, uh, Chet Ross uh, talking about mentoring. Fifteen years you've been doing this give me the one thing that 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 just rocks you that reg, that excites you about this what's the one thing that really just when you look back and say boy this is the greatest thing I'm glad I did this because
2: it was great use of my time and I I truly believe that I got more out of it than I gave personally it was just and continues to be I'm not with score anymore but mm-hmm. I'm mentoring the next stage of business it's just so fulfilling and enlightening.
0: And I imagine the the pay, real payback also is the, the very deep and personal relationships that you build up, which are priceless. Um, True. And over the course of 15 years, I'm, I'm sure that you have, as you've alluded to, uh, many very, very wonderful relationships that you've created. And I would imagine still are in touch with a lot of these people that you've mentored.
2: I am, and... It just feels good to know that maybe, in my small way, I made a difference
0: well, it sounds like you've made a big difference to a lot of people and to that uh, congratulations and thank you that's a great it's a great feeling it's a great feeling we've been speaking with chet ross um really about the issue of mentoring and and post supposedly post retirement activities and uh Chet really thank you very much for giving us your time and your knowledge and your expertise and also for getting up so early out in scottsdale and um Say hello to Scotts and the MIM, the Music Museum, down the street from where you are. It's one of the most beautiful museums I've ever been to. Our friends take me there. Harriet and and Gil take me there every time I go out there. So enjoy. Thank you. Have a great day. And um, Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chet Ross. A couple of words from some friends of ours here at Boomer Generation Radio, a reminder of the Hect Investment Group of Jannie Montgomery Scott, which provides concierge financial consulting and planning services. Uh, They use a formal investment process as their foundation, and as you've been told, clients receive a written plan and frequent communication as well as rapid response to inquiries for there are no needs greater than our own when it comes to personal financial planning, especially in this rather volatile environment financially. Additionally, Peter Hecht and his team can assist you in connecting to Jenny's Investment Banking Department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies achieve their strategic goals. And during this year, and we're going to be talking more about this uh, probably in the next month, uh, the Hecht Investment Group will be conducting a series of workshops on such issues as uh, Social Security, cybersecurity, uh, end-of-life issues, and what matters uh, towards in planning for end-of-life, we invite you to call the Hect Investment Group at 856-291-5028. That's 856-291-5028. Uh, their toll-free number, and ask for John Connors, is 855-289-2168. That's 855 289 2168. Uh, the Hect Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and on Facebook. And Jenny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, and the SIPC. And as we mentioned, uh, last Saturday was uh, National Healthcare Decision Day. And this whole idea of planning and dealing with what really matters most in, in our lives, this idea of comfort from pain, uh, symptoms and anxiety, emotional and spiritual spiritual support, and dignity because you matter no matter where you are in your journey of life. Talking to Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice can really uh, be involved in, in, in something that's very, very important for families, uh, especially as, as we talked about and have written about this uh, desire to have conversations about what really matters. We invite you to get the comfort, support, and dignity that you deserve by calling Samaritan today. Their number is 800-229-8183. That's 1-800-229-8183. And uh, Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice Services are fully covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and most insurance These conversations and the involvement with these conversations, again, this idea of comfort, support, and dignity, very, very important and very, very powerful. And again, the number of Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice is 1-800-229-8183. We'll be back with our second segment and our guest, Dottie Brown, right after this, uh, our usual musical interlude, uh, hopefully on a beautiful day like today.
3: and look around you and you'll see
1: Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester this portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall founded on Quaker principles Kendall provides independent living assisted living memory support skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city Kendall has a community for you we are together transforming the experience of aging To learn more, visit kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128.
0: Welcome, everyone, to our second segment here on Boomer Generation Radio. Today, again, coming to you from WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And a reminder, again, uh, you can reach the show on Radio at gmail.com and uh, like us on the Facebook page of Boomer Generation Radio. And for our second segment guest today, we are very pleased to welcome in studio Dottie Brown, a retired Philadelphia Inquirer reporter who left the Inky around a couple of years ago in 2011 uh, where she was the enterprise editor for print and multimedia. That's interesting in itself and uh, has worked for the you worked for the inquiry for more than 30 years um and the journalist has a book coming out we'll get to that in a minute it's a very exciting book and a an amazing blog www.unretiring.blogspot.com and on that website on that blog there's this great sentence which i'm going to ask you to, to unpack for us um quote, what is it like to unstrap yourself from a lifelong career and launch into the unknown, unquote. Welcome, Dottie. What do you mean by that great sentence?
4: Well, thank you for having me on the show. Um, what I, When I wrote that, it was really a question I was asking myself because I was launching myself into the great unknown, which a lot of people are very fearful of, and um, I felt like I was... Um, Going to free myself from the bondage of my job, which actually I loved, but it it was restrictive in that it took up all my time, and who knew what was out there for me? Uh, and I wanted to plunge in and and explore that, as so many people today uh, are trying to do. Uh, it's a transition that people are very nervous about. Um, many people are very nervous about it. Some people are thrilled. It just. Pop out and, and do the next thing. Um, but there's a lot of angst around it, and a, and a huge generation of, of people are taking this on.
0: What were you afraid of? What's the fear factor here? Because this comes up a lot.
4: Well, uh, there is a lot of nervousness about this, and I've actually, there are groups that have formed around the country of people who get together and talk about their concerns and who support each other, some who've retired and help others who are not quite retired. Um, I started such a group here. I can tell you about that later. But some of the concerns are, um, as your previous guest said, how to be fulfilled. He's found his way to be fulfilled through mentoring. But uh, a lot of people feel they, they need to stay purposeful and have some meaning to their lives, uh, and they don't know what it is especially if they're leaving a career that's not easy to do on your own. Um, some people are are very concerned about being in an unstructured situation where uh, they don't have to get up at a certain time or uh, be at, you know, clock in at work at a certain time, and they're worried about filling their day. Um, some people want to have fun, but they feel very guilty about it because they've been programmed to feel like they have to, be accomplishing things and and, uh, the idea of uh, reading a book even during the day is troubling to them. I had uh, one judge who had retired who said she cannot open a book during daylight. Um, There's a concern about being taken advantage of, for instance, by children uh, who need help with grandchildren where you don't necessarily want to spend your time that way. there's a whole identity issue. It, it sort of goes on and on, um, and I'm not even talking about money here. Uh, so those are some of the worries that people have stepping out.
0: Is this really re- reflective of, the, in many ways, the baby boomers? Because a lot of our generation did have careers that they worked within the, either the same industry or sometimes the same company or, or job for decades. And all of a sudden, as opposed to what we're being told by millennials who will maybe jump from place to place to place, that security blanket that I've had for decades is gone, and so there is that i'm um, that uh, you call that angst or fear or the unknown where do you Where did you get the courage to do the blog where did you get when when that reality hit you your own journey where did you get that 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 self um fulfilling courage to move forward
4: well um in a way it was really drawing on my interests and strengths to to do this and i think one of the things that people should think about as they take the plunge is what what do they love to do and and how can they use those skills going forward so i loved interviewing people meeting people being out there i had been at a desk for many years as an editor, uh, helping people with their writing, sort of doing the mentoring thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had not been out there doing the fun part of journalism, which is interviewing people. And then I was going through this issue myself. And as a reporter, we always like to, uh, you know, ask the questions. So I thought, what better way for me to figure out how to deal with this next stage of my life than to talk to other people who are trying to deal with it as well? And... I could write, I could report, and I could learn something. So that's how I put together, um, you know, my next stage. I thought it would be kind of a short-term thing, um, and I also realized that it was a huge trend. I'm, I'm in the older of the baby boom generation, so I I, I could see this was going to be the future. So uh, that's how I that's how I did it. I just came up with a name and and started interviewing people and. Started having more and more fun.
0: So the blog you've been doing for how long?
4: I started the blog right when I left. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing it for almost about five years. Uh, almost five years. Uh, in the beginning, I did lots of interviews with people, and as a result of that, those interviews, we did launch a group here in Philadelphia of women. Would you like me to talk yeah, about yeah, that yeah. Okay, so um, for women, uh, this journey into the next thing is, particularly fraught, Uh, at least many of the women feel that way. I know men have a hard time too, but for women who have had careers, um, we see ourselves as the first big generation of women, career women, to take this step without mentors, because most of our mothers didn't have big full-time careers. They were not necessarily professionals. Um, So you know, many of us never wanted to be homemakers. Uh, we don't like to cook. We don't like to clean. Uh, we didn't even stay home with our kids. Um, so it's really a huge, a huge leap. And our identities are all tied up in career, um, and that's who we are. And you know, what do you say to people when you go to a social event and they ask you what you do, and you're not working anymore? Um, you know, who are you? Uh, these are hard. Questions for uh, women. So, the women, and women like to get together anyway and talk. So, um, we started a group modeled after something called Project Renewment that started in California a number of years ago, where an ad hoc group of women got together and started talking about their issues. And um, these groups have spread. So, what happened in our group is um, we had women who were uh, about to retire. Who had retired, uh, who'd found their new way, who hadn't found their new way, and uh, you know a lot of interesting conversation developed around that. At least that. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go talk. (laughs) So um, yeah, so among the things that these women were saying is um, is that they um, they really needed to feel valued in some way and. they felt very unvalued, um, not making money because that's how people look at you in America. If you make money, um, you know you're somebody of stature. If you are not making money, it's it's harder to be respected. Um, a one woman I know left her job actually at the at the Inquirer. She was an editor there, and she started plunging into things that she enjoyed, like gardening and uh, community gardening and taking some Coursera courses, and then she'd go to a party and uh, people would ask her what she's doing now that she'd left and she would start talking about these things and she'd see their eyes glaze over. And so she started telling people she was doing a gap year. And when she said gap year, uh, they sort of brightened up because they could identify with that. Um, anyway, those are some of the uh, the issues that have come up in in this uh in this group. Do you
0: find with the women who are now in, in our age group who are um, retiring and moving into post-retirement work, um, how do the young women now who are really emerging, women in their 20s and 30s who are emerging in careers, very powerful, goal-directed, who have seen their mothers do this? So they, they, they see this already as an, this is, they have a role model. They have a role model. Do these two generations, do they mesh well, or is there some tension there?
4: Well, I have three daughters, and they all are working. Um, and I think I was a good role model for them. I'd like to think so. Um, they are having the same issue that I had, which is juggling. You know, you feel like you're never quite good enough as a mother and never quite good enough at your job. I had this conversation actually yesterday with my youngest daughter who is does sports medicine at Children's Hospital here and uh she was saying that uh you know she she came home from a flight early from a meeting so she could put her baby to bed and um she, the, the plane was late mm-hmm. and she was calling me from the cab practically crying that she took this early flight because she wanted to be home for her child and now she was going to miss his bedtime um so it's a juggle for I think for everybody but I think the younger generation is going to balance it out better. Uh, they saw us maybe work too hard, and I think younger women are taking time off from their careers, stepping back a little bit also uh, the workplace has changed, so it's more there's more understanding of women who uh, take some more time for their kids or, or drop out to part-time for a while. Um, they don't necessarily totally lose their place on the ladder.
0: But what about the money thing and the pay? Does That, that, that has to – in the people you've interviewed in these last five years, I'm sure that, that the women's perspective has come up and has the, the inequality of pay um, come up as well?
4: Uh, I think women in general have always been concerned about this, and it continues to be an issue, and it's a political issue, obviously, still in this uh, election year. Um, I Frankly, I have to say that our conversations uh, in the group that I'm meeting with have not been so much about money.
0: Um, what's the so ma- In that group, Dottie, what's, what's the number one issue for this group of women that you're dealing with?
4: Yeah, the number one issue is feeling feeling valued, feeling that you're doing something purposeful. Um, and it's not necessarily doing something for somebody else as a way to feel valued, but, but fulfilling yourself maybe in, um, in a skill that you want to develop that's, that's new or different. I, a neighbor of mine, for instance, has become an extraordinary artist uh... in her later years and is winning uh... prizes uh... doing that and I, th- I think that's that's the struggle is between either feeling like you're doing something that's important or meaningful to yourself or for other people versus being able to just relax and enjoy yourself which is what you're supposed to you know many people say this is what you're supposed to do at this time of life it's for you You know, take it easy uh, Smell the flowers. Uh, relax a little. Um, how
0: do you react to that? Because I, 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 how do you react? When somebody says, oh, you're at the stage of life, you worked so many years, take your time, smell the flowers, go for a walk. Do a, it. I mean, it sounds very, to me, Hallmark Cardi. When, when people come to you with that, what's that visceral feeling in, in your soul?
4: Well, in me, personally, I'm going to just read something I have in front of me here, which is I had... Um, reported on the dialogue at one of my one of the meetings we had of this project Renewment group, and um, so I, I, I jump around a lot I 'm probably a little uh, ADHD. Um, so I 'm not somebody who can sit still. So this is what I said. Um, I told people that I was having a real time management problem and that it's a huge issue for me and that I jump from one thing to the next thing and then I'm exhausted. And then somebody in the group said, you probably want to take advantage of every opportunity because you're not sure how many are going to come your way and you don't know how many choices you'll have, so you'd better not turn anything down. And someone else said, right, so you just jump into anything that comes along. To which I replied, it makes me feel good if someone asks me to do something because I'm needed, I'm valued, I have an identity. Um, And then then another person said, I find people in this retirement process are not taking the time to be quiet. They're so concerned about losing their identity that they're not making the time to float or drift or be quiet because it's almost more frightening to them than filling themselves up. So that's, you know, it, it scares me to do nothing, frankly. I just... I just am not that way, um, and so I hope I can keep running around, and that's why I'm so excited that, about my next project. Um, shall, I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, in a minute. Okay.
0: Uh, but we have, to, we have to pay the bill. Okay. So we're going to come back to Dottie in a second and hear about a very exciting project, but I also want to pursue something else that you were alluding to in, in, in what you were just talking about. We'll do that right after we say hello again to our friends at Kendall.
3: Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approaches to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit kendalloutreach.org.
0: Welcome back to our second segment here today on Boomer Generation Radio. Uh, our guest on our second segment, Dottie Brown, blogger, author, interviewer, uh, raconteur, and um uh somebody who has retired, retired from the Philadelphia Inquirer several years ago in 2011, where she was the enterprise editor for print and multimedia, and now blogging at www.unretiring.blogspot.com, which is tough to say in one breath. Um, Unretiring and the U and the R are capitalized. Does that have to always no, be capitalized? No, you don't have to. Never figured that's no, one of my uh, technological challenges. Never quite realized whether they all have to do that. Anyway, www.unretiring.blogspot.com, a series of interviews that Dottie has done. I want to jump back to one thing uh, before we pursue the book, The which is fascinating because it, it came up in chat in the first segment and also in this comment, and I'm you're alluding to it in the in this women's group that you're that you're involved with and it doesn't it's it's irrelevant between men and women from what i'm hearing today we reach a certain set stage in our life we're aware of in many ways on a subconscious level our own finity and yet that search for meaning that, that search for a reason to get up in the morning a purpose for our life really seems to take over in your, in your experience, in your interviewing, in your conversations, this, this seems to be a drive, doesn't it?
4: A drive to get people up in the morning to go yeah, and do something?
0: Yeah, this I need some sense of, I've left this enterprise which has given me my identity. Right. So now I, I now have the freedom, if I understand it that way, to carve out something that really means something to me and a sense of purpose in my life.
4: Yeah, that's a huge challenge. I mean, for a lot of people, they can't figure out what that next thing is going to be. But for those people who can find it, and it, it, it often takes a year or two to figure out what what is satisfying. Um, and I think one of the big issues is we are, as a society, have driven ourselves so much um, to be to do something meaningful and, and purposeful and fulfilling that we feel a lot of guilt when we decide we don't want to maybe drive ourselves that hard. So yeah, there's, I there's tension.
0: I think also what you just said is some people really have to hear hear this, what you just said, that it, you just don't, you know, leave work on June 30th and on July 1st, you know, the light comes on and you have an aha moment, that it can take time and, and give yourself the time to really explore and... And and understand really what you, where your soul wants to go. And I think that's really, really, really important.
4: Yeah, there are um, a couple pieces of advice came out of our group. Um, give yourself a year to explore. Don't say yes to everything that comes along because you're afraid if you say no, it won't happen again because you'll fill yourself up with things you may not want to do. Um, network. Um, Keep your community. You could be very isolated at home, make lunch dates, make sure you you yeah, get involved with yeah. with other things. Um, the isolation like-
0: factor is, is really a challenge, mm-hmm. and and that we see that all. I mean, you know, we talked about – actually, when Chet as well in the first segment, this uh, socialization, um, community building, relationships building, very, very powerful. Uh, so in the – and we have – so You know, a chunk of time left, so let's talk about this really exciting project. You have a book coming out in the fall?
4: It's coming out in the fall, I hope, in time for the head of the Schuylkill, which is one of the big races here on the, on the river in Philadelphia. Um, what happened to me was, here I was, writing this blog, um, you know, trying to figure out my life, uh, going on a few extra vacations, and... An editor from Temple University Press came to me and asked me if I wanted to do a history of Boathouse Row, which is something that I had never thought of doing. Although I had taken up rowing about ten years ago, um, a neighbor of mine was rowing, and I thought that would be great fun, and so I started do rowing. Still, do you still row? And I do row, oh, okay. uh, recreationally. I don't. R- I, I've raced once, just to say I did, but um, I, <laughs> especially since I was writing the book, so. So the book idea came to me, and I said to myself, is this how I want to spend the next couple years of my life on a subject I had no deep uh, interest in, or not? at least not that it was fun for me to row, but to research all this stuff? And I started looking into it, and I found some fascinating things, very old uh, log books and records uh, crumbling uh, in various institutions around uh, town that harbor um, historical documents, uh, fascinating stories about the burpees and the Lippincots and other people whose names you might the have char too right
0: um, mm-hmm.
4: yes who 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 uh, started out here rowing uh, the difficulty of women rowing there were no women on the river between the late 1800s and 1938, when finally a women's uh, boathouse started. And they didn't get, um, the men did not let women into their boathouses actually until the 1970s. And there was no no Olympics for women rowers mm-hmm. until 1976. So there are all kinds of wonderful stories. Thomas Aikens, the painter, was on the river. Anyway, I got caught up in it. You can hear from the excitement in my voice. Uh, lots of pictures, uh, lots of sociology, um, comes out in the fall. Thank you for the plug.
0: Well, and for those of you who, for, for those of you who are not into Philadelphia or, or going to listen to this on the podcast, uh, one of the rivers that is important in Philadelphia is the Schuylkill River. And along the Schuylkill River is this, um, part of Fairmount Park are these series of, um, houses, um, that hold and uh, university rowing clubs private rowing clubs you'll tell me if I'm misspeaking and and in fact and they're lit up at night if you come in on train or on the drives around Boathouse Row it's spectacular on any given day I was driving up the drive one of the drives this morning to get to the station and the rowers are out on the river you mentioned this when we were talking before the show the sociology of uh, the growth of the city of Philadelphia um in many ways is reflected in boathouse row. is that correct?
4: yeah, that's one of the things i I discovered um We were in the nineteenth century very much a city of clubs um there was a club for everything we were a lot of immigrants were coming in there was a lot of turmoil, and people felt that they needed a social connection with each other um so many of these clubs um, migrated to the river. Uh, when rowing became the hottest sport actually in the country. At one point, it was the biggest spectator sport in the United States. Um, so it started that way, but um, waves of different groups of people have come onto to the row over time, just as um, waves of different groups of people made it in American society over time. Um, so you had uh, immigrants coming in, as I mentioned before, women coming in. And the latest wave it really are inner-city kids who haven't had much access to the river, even though they live closest to it, uh, in part because uh, it's an expensive sport and uh, a lot of schools can't afford it anymore.
0: The uh, title of the book is?
4: The title of the book is Boathouse Row, Waves of Change in the Birthplace of American Rowing.
0: That's so cool. And it's published by? Temple
4: University Press, but it won't be out till the fall. So uh, I guess if you are interested in getting an email when it comes out, you could uh, contact me through my blog, um, unretiring.blogspot.com. And
0: so that's uh, – say it again, nice and slow. Uh,
4: <laughs> www.unretiring.blogspot.com.
0: So the – um, um the interviews that you've done for the blog, uh, now these last five years, we have about a minute left uh, in, our, in, our, in our segment. Can you sort of like um, summarize or give me one theme that you found to be really, really relevant on these people who have um, unstrapped themselves and gone, gone boldly into the next universe?
4: Um, Well, I think the thing that struck me the most is how each person has found their own route. There is not one particular way to go. And uh, everybody has a story, and it's worth asking people their stories because you'll be surprised at what you learn. Um, One person told me that she'd moved from the south to uh, be near her daughter but still was 20 miles away and totally new in a town. And she totally reinvented herself by plugging herself into the y m c a and discovering what the town needed and starting a, a community garden and starting to mentor kids to teach them how to be organic farmers and you never know, and you know, I sort of met this woman at a at my daughter's Halloween party We the <laughs> old, two oldest people in the room, and I started chatting with her, so you never know
0: I think that's really you do never know and not to and to to Gather up that fear because uh, a lot of our generation is is at that precipice or at that fork in the road. And to quote the famous scholar Yogi Berra, you know, when you come to the fork in the road, take it.
4: Exactly. Dottie
0: Brown, uh, blogger, uh, www.unretiring.blogspot.com. Thank you very much. Good luck with the book on Boathouse Row. We uh, hope that, um, you know, maybe the WHYY will pick it up as a video and you can do a whole series of things, as we were talking about um, before the show, on various neighborhood and aspects of Philly. Because it's a great city and this is going to be a lot of fun, uh, Boathouse Row. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much for being with us, Dottie Brown. Continued good luck on your enterprises and your writing to all of you. Thank you very much. For again joining us on another edition of Boomer Generation Radio, have a great week.